listening to that song, one of the things you're going to hear during this message, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, is um, the idea that if the gospel, if that, that faith in Christ is, is really true in our lives, it changes what we think about generosity. And that song uh, gets at the heart of what it means to have a relationship with God. Um, that it's about forgiveness, but it's about freedom, that God wants to do something in and through you and through us that is absolutely beautiful. So 2 Corinthians 8, we are in a little two-week series looking at the first 15 verses, and we're talking about generosity. What does it mean to be generous? Two weeks ago, we looked at the beginning seven verses, and we talked about this church at Corinth, and so the these books towards the end of the New Testament are written to local churches like ours. And uh, the church at Corinth, they were a fairly wealthy church, but had a lot of internal struggles going on. And one of them is they were struggling to be generous. And Paul starts out 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he talks about this church in Macedonia that was being extremely generous, but the way he describes them is they're poor. They have very little but this heart of generosity is flowing through them. And uh, we're saying, what does it mean to be generous people? How can we do that? So before we jump into God's word, let me pray for us. God, as we look at uh, the second part of this passage, Lord, I pray that you, through your spirit, would speak good news into our lives. Um, for some of us, that's words of encouragement. For others, we need to be convicted. We need to be challenged. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that good work that only you can do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. So the first few verses, there was this idea that if grace was true in their lives, and that's this idea of the Macedonians, that grace was so true in their lives that it caused them to be dependent on God, which ultimately led to generosity. These next few verses, we're going to get really practical as well, and we're going to look at the idea that greed is one of the things that really gets in the way for us truly to become compassionate and generous people. The idea of greed, it's a good conversation, I think, especially for sort of first world Western Christianity. There was an interesting study done in 1991. Two guys, James Patterson and Peter Kim, they joined forces and they wrote this book called The Day America Told the Truth. And the most striking thing is this poll that they did. And the poll asked this question, what are you willing to do for $10 million? Two-thirds of Americans polled agreed to at least one of the following. And so I want you to see this list. This is after you think about greed, you think about wanting more, wanting something. This is what they said. For $10 million, 25% of those polled would abandon their entire family. Seems a little intense. The same percentage would abandon their church. 16% said they'd give up their American citizenship. 16% would leave their spouses for $10 million. Don't ask your spouse right now if they would do that or not. 10% would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free for $10 million. 7%, I do not want to know who this 7% is, would kill a stranger. 3% would put their children up for adoption. If you have young children, that just may be true part of the time anyway. But isn't that interesting? The idea of more, the idea of this big sum of money, people are willing to do such unhealthy things. And we have this church in Corinth that in some ways is a lot like the American church. They're well off. They have what they need. 
But even at times when we have what we need, this heart drawn towards greed is the thing that rules the day. So we jump into the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 8. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. That comparison is the churches in Macedonia, these poor people who are giving a lot. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Just like earlier in the passage, Paul is again saying, this starts with the gospel. We cannot talk about generosity, we cannot talk about compassion, truly talk about it, unless you've experienced the life that Jesus offers If you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, if you're experiencing the freedom that only a trusting relationship with Jesus can bring, you're going to begin to get this life of compassion and generosity. You're going to move away from greed. Then he says in verse 10, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. You did this last year, and now for some reason, greed is ruling your heart, and you are not willing to give away. Verse 11, now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And this is just really practical. Get it done according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And then verse 13, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. Underline that word equality. It's so important to understand that when you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you've experienced that life that Jesus offers, it should change the way you see others. And that's where we begin to move towards this heart of generosity because in the gospel, we are all the same. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. It's such an important word. So at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. It's such a, such a cool verse of like, this is what community looks like. They're in need now. Give to them. One day you're going to be in need. We're in this together. I have a pastor friend, Jeff Calmetto, pastors a church, Calvary Baptist Church, up uh, sort of south of downtown Minneapolis. And he would often say when we would talk about his church and the church I was pastoring that our salvation is tied up in each other. Like we are so in this together that it matters that much. And then he ends with this. As is written, the one who has gathered much did not have to do much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This wealthy church with great resources. And Paul is saying, I want you to move from this heart of greed to a life of compassion and generosity that comes from the grace that you've experienced in Jesus Christ. I think greed is the thing that they are struggling with. And I want to talk about that a little bit because Scripture has, there's over 2,000 verses on money in Scripture. And so it's something that we need to talk about. And often in churches we get really nervous to talk about it. But talking about greed gets at the heart of a conversation about generosity and money. Jesus, in the parable of the rich fool, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, says this. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Greed is one of those things that we are naturally in our brokenness just drawn towards. 
Greed is simply the desire, the need, the want for more. It's, it's really closely related to coveting. Seeing something you don't have and wanting it so badly that it just drives something in you that you know is not right. I want more. I need more. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds, this is actually talking about a heart of greed, what he should give and only suffers want. We know that what comes out of a heart of greed is not good, not just in our heart, but what it does in the context of community, of a family, of a church. And I think if we're really honest, greed flows from both fear and selfishness. From fear, it flows from fear in this sense of, is there enough? This idea of scarcity that, that we're continually saying, I need more, I want more, is there enough? And if we're truly honest, it flows from a heart of selfishness. That I want more is simply that statement, I want more. First Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all evil. We become what we worship. It's interesting, I've heard... Time and time again, and I've seen people grow in Christ and grow in their understanding and management of money, that this statement, something like this, when I have things all set, when I have this much money, when I have things in place, then I'm going to be generous. You ever said that? If you've thought that or said that, you know that at the heart of that is this heart that is drawn towards greed. Is there actually enough to give away? There's a passage, and we're going to fly through this, but there is this passage in Isaiah 1. I'm going to read verses 2 through 4, and then we're going to jump down to verses 10 through 20. But this is Israel, probably the strongest words in the Old Testament from God towards his people. Listen to this. Hear me, you heavens, listen earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manger, but Israel does not know. My people don't understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is so great, a brood of evildoers. I mean, use that one this afternoon in your parenting. A brood of evildoers. Children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their back. Like, this is strong language, right? Something is going on. Israel is in a place that God is coming right at them. And so what's going on? Is, is this some sexual sin? Is this, they're, they're fighting among, what, what is going on? Jump down to verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sod, Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Referring back to like one of the, the sort of most intense sinful places that they knew in their history. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams, of fat, in the fat of fattened animals, I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come up here before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Fairly intense. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Like This is as bad as it gets. And here's the picture that's being painted in Isaiah 1. Israel looks good on the outside. They're going to the temple. 
They're offering their sacrifices. They're doing the things that it seems like they should. They look good. It'd be like in America, you're going to church. You're in your small group. You look good on the outside. But what's the problem? Why is God so upset? Verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. And here it is. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. They spiritually looked good, but because of the greed of wanting more, they weren't caring for the oppressed among them. And that's why God comes with this intense language. See, greed cannot not only destroy your heart and my heart, greed can destroy what it looks like for us to be a community together and for us to be the church. And so how do we move towards this idea of compassion and generosity? We've said it again. It's all throughout 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It starts with grace. It starts with you repenting of your sins, turning toward Jesus Christ, and experiencing the life-giving relationship that only God can offer you through Jesus Christ. And then, as you're living in that, this place of generosity and compassion becomes the norm because you see people, people different. That's that word equality that we saw in the text. You don't look at others and think that you're better than them because you have more. You think you have more. You think you're better. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2, that we should look at others actually as better than ourselves. The gospel changes my posture and how I see the others around us. And it plays out differently. As the gospel redefines sort of our societal understandings of who is important. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Isn't that good? God's grace was so real that no one was in need. Because they understood Galatians 3.28 that says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Compassion is what keeps the thing I own, the things I own from owning me. Pastor Eugene Cho said that. I think that is so good. And I begin to look and see others around me in a different way. So a couple of weeks ago, as I've been processing this and thinking about this, a few of us sat down with a guy named Mike Brown. Mike Brown oversees church planning for the sort of Minnesota area of our denomination. And uh, we were talking about the, the idea of sort of a church plan, uh, this, this thing that we're, we're talking about and dreaming about it. And uh, Jordan Parsons, who grew up in the church, was there at the, this lunch. And uh, if you want to come on up, I'll, I'll share a little bit of, of what I'm going to ask you to do, but Jordan started talking about just sort of passions as she was listening to, to Mike, and um, those of us sitting at the lunch were just like, she, she got it, she gets like what this life of compassion and generosity get is really all about, and, and, and the thing that really moved me, and I've asked her to share with us, is a story that is all about just God-centered, unbelievable, grace-driven compassion and generosity. So share that story with us. Absolutely. So the story comes from this summer as I was um, shepherding a trip with our church's youth group to um, Tennessee. We went to a conference called CHIC. It's our denomination's conference for high school students. It happens once every three years. 
Um, anyways, we were at this conference um, learning lots from a lot of great speakers. Eugene Cho was even a speaker there. Um, tons of fantastic speech, um, teachings and worship and all that packed into a week. And every year they have an offering for some cause. And this year the cause um, was for what they call Project Blue, very similar to what we do with Team World Vision. Um, as we run to raise water um, money to get clean water to communities in Africa, similar with raising money for clean waters um, in India. So that was kind of the focus of our week and um, a lot of the teachings that we were getting. Um, so our offering, which happened to be on, I believe it was that Wednesday night. So again, a few days into our trip with high school students. So budgeting-wise, I don't know how well they all do with saving Think money. Think about when you went on a trip growing up. Like by Wednesday, all my money was gone. You know, like on a youth trip, right? So, again, that's the night for the, the offering, and um, they don't give a little number of basic what they want. They want us to raise $55,000 for this cause, and this, again, this is a group of students of, there's less than 6,000 6, students, um, so this isn't a huge number, not where they can just drop in a dollar and we get that amount, so... I'm going, uh, that's too big. What are you guys doing? You're saying, setting these students up for failure. There's no way we can reach that number. Um, so as the bucket passes by me, as I drop in my money, I was like, Lord, multiply this because there's no way. Like, there's no way we're going to get this. And so just let us get close. Let this not be embarrassing to us. So the next day, um, they announce at the end of kind of the thing what we, what we raised. And again, I'm kind of being, oh, please let us get close. And the worship pastor who... Um, explained or, or told us what we had raised, um, kind of started out, well, we didn't, 55,000 was not the number we raised, but I'm going to show you what it was. So they start, panned it out on the screen, and they had it all laid out in a field with the buckets of, um, like, water. Uh, well, we see a six, we see a two, and in front of that two, there's a one. So they raised over $126,000 um, for this cause, and I was floored. I dropped to my knees. I was weeping. I couldn't believe it. I, the Lord just said, don't doubt me. Um, you offer into my hands, and I will bless, and I will multiply. Um, don't doubt what I can do. I am bigger. I am greater. And I was, I was blown away, and I still to this day, I can't, can't believe that we had raised that amount. Um, but I think it was just God showing, like, you offer into my hands and watch and see what I can do with it. So. And that's really, I mean, the, the idea, the, the, the doubt is really greed and scarcity. Like, we can't do that. There's not enough. And I think the invitation of grace, just like we read in Acts 2, that the, God's powerful grace was at work among them, and there was no needy person among them. So I want to give you, Jordan's going to close the message in prayer, but I want to give you three words. This is like the preaching that I grew up with. You always had three points, and they were alliterated. Amen? That's what a good sermon is. I never do this. If you're new, this is rare. Um, I'm not smart enough to alliterate. But I think these will help, help reorient it. It's not about just the goal of generosity. It's about the goal of grace being at work in your life so that you're compassionate and generous. So first one is this. Remember. Remember your weakness. Remember our weakness. And humbly admit that it's only by God's grace that we're able to work and provide. Remember that. Second thing, reorient. Reorient yourself, ourselves, back to the gospel. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are now equal friends because of the gospel. And then third thing is this, rededicate. Rededicate ourselves, rededicate yourselves to fully living out by grace God's mission of justice and restoration and renewal. Because when we do that, we become a generous church just like the Macedonians 2,000 years ago. Amen? Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and all that you've given us. Thank you for um, blessing, 
blessing us with the abundance of your love and grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that you would help us um, be a people that are willing to offer up all that you have given us. Give it back to you. Lord, help us to let go of our greed and let go of our selfishness that we hold on to. And Lord, would, you, um, would we offer that with open hands and would you just take and multiply in your name? Amen. Amen.